Hello, I'm John Orty. I'm a stunt historian, author, broadcaster and producer, and the man behind Behind the Stunts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Welcome to this episode and a series of podcasts dedicated to the action stunts in the James Bond movies. My new book is the definitive guide to everything action-packed in the film series. It looks at the stunts, the performers, the coordinators and the stories behind these incredible moments captured on the film. Welcome to the last in the current series where we find ourselves celebrating the 40th anniversary of the James Bond franchise with Die Another Day. Now, this movie is either hot or cold with fans. You love it or hate it. There's no halfway house here, so the less said about that, the better. Let's focus on the action, and for me, it holds a special place in my heart, as it was the first time on location with Vic Armstrong down in Aldershot when they were filming the pre-title sequence on a very cold, rainy day in January 2002. Up to my knees in mud and the world exploding around me, hovercraft flying past on one side and the entire Korean army bearing down on the other. It has some wonderful action sequences, in particular the incredible car ballet on ice, which we'll talk about in a moment. But we'll start with our old friend Rocky Taylor, and I asked him about working on the picture, this time as a patron of the Blades Fencing Club, during the duel between Bond and Graves. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a little bit of nonsense. They just wanted some stuntmen around because it looked, you know... When you're doing sword work and all that, you don't want cr- crowd because they don't know what's happening. They haven't got a clue. But you no, know, that's right. No, there's a sword going off and they're going to come over. They've got to hit a table and they wanted me around that table, make sure they were safe. I yeah. push them away, keep the, keep the other extras safe. We're more or less safety than, than doing stunts so much. Yes. But that was, yeah, all the sword work. See, that's what happens nowadays. We're all, because of the accidents that are happening in health and safety you've got to have a certain amount of stuntmen around to keep them safe keep people safe yes of course uh, we're supposed to know what we're doing <laughs> supposed to well you certainly do as far as that's good sir and particularly in that in that in that uh in that type of environment where you're you're doing a job but you're also doing another job of safety for everybody else so you you're aware exactly. of what, what more could safety happen. nowadays john as you know, it's more safety everywhere now. Everywhere you go, risk assessments. Are That's right. Everywhere. Everybody has to do risk assessments. Now we'll chat with one of Pierce's doubles on the film, George Cottle, who remembers getting the job and being so excited about getting an opportunity to work on a Bond movie. Yeah, I mean, that was an incredible opportunity. And, you know, it's honestly, I, I, and I still say to this day, it was one of the, you know, career-changing opportunities for me. I think I was 20 three or 24 and I got a call um, I'll never forget it I was in Marks and Spencers in Kingston weird and um, uh, I got a call from Vic Armstrong's office yeah. saying we'd like you to come in and work on Die Another Day 
Yeah, cool. And uh, and then that was it. I went in. We um, there were some huge sequences to do, and I never at that time thought that I would be driving that car. I mean, we 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 started off the first part of the sequence was a hovercraft chase. Yeah. And uh, so we turned up, and you know, at the time I was a 24-year-old stunt guy, and I turned up to be surrounded by all of these incredibly seasoned stunt people. And yeah. you know, I was just happy to be there. I was just, yep, no, yes sir, no sir. From that, I picked it up. But there was, you know, there was three or four of us that kind of picked it up pretty fast. Yeah. And uh, and then they, we were picked by by Vic to be kind of, you know, front and center with the hovercraft. And then, uh, and then one day on set, Vic was like, "Right, you're going to come to Iceland and drive the car." I, I you know, I remember car. vividly to this day, day one of filming, um, Vic Armstrong in the helicopter, just chasing us all over this lake, Brilliant. and we uh, we were out there for you know eight nine hours. We yeah. wrapped, came back, and we walked into our changing room. Me and the the other driver was a right. stunt guy called Raider Han. Yeah. And uh, we literally were just jumping up and down and screaming like kids. Like we just couldn't believe that, that how we'd spent our day. It was incredible. Now let's hear from Pierce's other main double on the film, Mark Mottram, who remembers having a lovely, if slightly painful time, down in Cornwall at the Eden Project. There was shots we done inside the, the uh, inside the Eden Project where he I can't remember he goes up or she comes down or whatever I can't even remember the sequence now, but yeah, there's one. But the main one, yeah, is basically on top of the Eden Project. Cut long story short, I'm on top of the the dome and it's George Aguilar who was the stunt coordinator there. And George Aguilar was an American stunt or is an American stunt coordinator that I met on the film called Gangs of New York, who Vic worked with. So on the back of Gangs of New York, ended up doing Die Another Day with us. So uh, you know, George is a good friend of mine. I worked with him before, nice guy. And the gag is running down or running over the top and down the side of the Eden Project but we we hadn't really rehearsed the stunt as such on the Eden Project because we didn't have the Eden Project and it was a massive massive set to build or anything but we had rehearsed uh, me on the side of a building like like rap jumping you know like you're facing forward and running down Um, but I had to come to a stop and we went for the take and I went down I said I want to get the end position and they wanted to take me as far as I could but basically what happens when you when I was standing up straight it's not like you're on a I'd run down and basically I'm not I'm not on tension when I'm running over the dome I only come in tension when I'm running around it like a, a circle like it's like a like circle a, like a pendulum thing well yeah but it's like it's not like you know when you do your rap jump and you lean yeah. you get into it and it holds you so then you're held yeah, so like you're already on it's top. like a downwards run um, yeah. abseil yeah face, face down abseil exactly mm. But when you do it like on a on a on a, a mountain or, or a cliff edge or drop, mm. you then you go over, you take the potential, and then you can sort of run because you're yeah. already on the lean into it. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, on the on the dome, I couldn't do that because mm. it's such a long, solid drop. I couldn't get the weight onto it. So I'm in mm. I'm in te- I'm in slack all the time, all the time. And then it would slowly pick up, but the the slack wouldn't pick me up quick enough because. But basically, because each, each each part of the dome is made up of hexagonal. Bubbles, yeah, but it? I was, it is, yeah, but I was running in the gully, if gotcha. you like. Yeah, it's yeah. basically in the gully where the yeah. water would come in. It was probably two or three foot wide. Mm. So you could run down it quite easily. But um, is it the circumference? That's the outside, isn't it? So it, it, like, you know, the circular position, it wasn't like a, a 90 degree drop. It was like a circle drop. Yeah. So as oh, I'm okay. as I'm running, the tension's not coming on. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's not coming on. So I knew that I had to run really fast, as quick as I could, to get the tension on so I didn't fall over. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. as soon as I start going over the edge... It sounds, it sounds like you had to outrun the rope. 
Exactly, I had to try to. They wanted to put the end mark right at the bottom, and I said, look, I'm never going to run down to the bottom because I'm going to fall over before that because I can't get attention on the line. And they went, put it down, put it down. Anyway, cut long story short, we did this stunt. I run down the thing, and uh, I got to a certain point, and I fell. <laughs> I fell, and I fell because we got slack, and they dropped it. I'd fallen, like, um, I don't know how many feet, 20 feet, but there's gone slack in line. I smacked my sh- elbow on the side of the bloody gully at the bottom and split my elbow and it broke my head. I, I, I just thought I was, I thought I was dead that day because I just fell. And the slack where they put it, the slack, well, I didn't hit the floor, but I was like four foot. But the gully at the bottom of it was like a big metal thing that come up about four foot. And my arm hit the side of it um, as I'd fallen because I tumbled and I just hit it. And, um, but I mean, we got the shot, it's fine, it's just... Wraps in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Before we move on to our final two guests, we should remember that it's not all stuntmen working hard on this movie. Halle Berry was doubled by Amanda Foster, who's the first black stuntwoman on the British stunt register. She joined in 1997. So you can see that sometimes it's not just a case of the public or press suggesting that film companies are not wanting to hire black stuntmen or women to double a person of colour. It's still very difficult to double black actors as the number of black stunt performers is still very small. Amanda remembers that when she was working background action on Patriot Games with Harrison Ford, she was told that a black stuntman had doubled Grace Jones for a view to a kill. That stuntman was Clive Curtis, and he was the first black stuntman to join in 1976. Mark Anthony Newman joined in 1987, and then Amanda in 1997. Three black stunt performers in 21 years. It's hardly progress, is it? But the numbers are increasing, but they are still very small in comparison to the rest. Amanda did a wonderful job on this movie and started a lifelong friendship with Halle Berry. The wonderful fight between Jinx and Miranda Frost earned a Taurus World Stunt Award in 2003 for Best Overall Stunt by a Stunt Woman. Nikki Berwick doubled Rosamund Pike, and she also was responsible for a great deal of the choreography of this fight. Right, now let's hear from stuntman Jim Dowdle, who knows a thing or two about memorable action scenes. He's been involved in more than his fair share over the years, but which was top of his list? The most memorable one, without doubt, was was the ice chase in Iceland with the the two cars on the ice. I went out there much earlier because I... I, I had a very good rapport with the, the, the special effects guys who actually built those cars. And the engineering job was amazing because they took their engines out, they put an American V8, normally aspirated engine with carburetors, no, none of that electronic stuff in it, uh, and married a, a Land Rover transfer case onto the gearbox and then put a Ford Explorer front axle. I mean, the, the, the costs of... Um, altering those cars to do what they did was 1.2 million that's just what it costs in engineering and then so I, I went out probably at least a week early with the cars to try them out on the ice and what they had done out there was that they'd allowed the bond people to build a dam across the end of the isthmus there in order to get the ice to freeze up and get deeper and deeper because it was tidal there at the end of the um, glacier. So when we got there, I think the dam had been closed for about 10 days and, and, the, and the ice was starting to thicken up. But what we didn't realize was it, it still wasn't that thick. And I've got film at home 
of me driving the car across the ice, and you can see the ice moving behind me, which, uh, you know, afterwards I, th I thought, Jesus Christ. Anyway, it's a shame that Pierce didn't come out because he's an old mate. I've known him since he was at, uh, at Drama Center as a young student in the early 70s. And I used to go there and see him and used to take him out for beans or toast because he didn't have a pot to piss in. And I used to go out and see him in, in the States. I used to quite, spend quite a lot of time going out to California in January and February when it was quiet here. And I used to go, I'd ring Pierce up and he said, oh, come on, come on the set and all that. And he'd be doing Remington Steel then. <laughs> and of course, I'd arrive on the set and there was this trailer that, you know, you had to see binoculars to see the other end of it. You know, it was like a, like a bowling alley. And it had, you know, hot and cold running everything. And, and he just raised up and he'd go, a bit different from the drama centre in Camden Town, isn't it? You know, anyway, passing swiftly on. So he didn't come out to Iceland. But um, when all the crew were out there, we all had our own skidoo. So we would go out on the ice on the skidoos in the morning. And I used to go out in the darkness and you'd see the dawn coming up over that glacier. And that was magical. Day in, day out. We never had a cloud in the sky for 10 days that we were shooting. And the, the cars performed magnificently. George, who was driving the Jag, poor bugger, because he had to, uh, because it was open, and he's got, he's completely bald, he's, they've shaved him. And he really did get cold. I used to, you know, go over to him and, and, you know, put my hand on the top of his head, and it was absolutely freezing. And finally, we hand over to the governor. Vic Armstrong, who tells us just what a thrill it is to work on these movies. I imagine you must be very proud, Vic. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of that chase on ice. And again, luck, fate, everything was in my favour. You know, we went, I went up to Iceland twice on recce, scouting and looking at the lake. Because it was always, uh, it was a, literally a lake when we ever saw it. I never saw it frozen until I went up there the day I was shooting on it. Right. And it had icebergs in it. So we decided, we looked, we also went around all, all around North America looking at lakes, but unfortunately all the lakes come with a lot of snow. Yes. So we didn't want the snow, we wanted the clear, clear ice. So we figured that would be the best place to do it up in, in Iceland. And we had to uh, stop the end of the lake where it goes into the ocean because it was tidal water would come back into the lake and the salt oh. water would stop it freezing. We needed it frozen. And it only froze just the week before we went up there and we kept getting reports saying it's getting cold and it's getting frozen, it's all frozen. But every time I'd been on a recce up there, we'd had horizontal rain. You couldn't see more than 100 metres. It was just dreadful. And so I, was, I really didn't know what we were going to do during the chase. I had certain plans in my mind of the different things we would do, but we had to see them to be able to do them in, in the weather. Anyway, I arrived, and the day I arrived, it was brilliant sunshine. It's like the south of France. I couldn't believe it. And I got off the plane, and we drove out to the lake, and we had a plate unit there shooting background plates. Uh -huh. And I said, look, let's, let's, let's start shooting today, because God knows when we're ever going to get much sun, you know. I had two weeks to do the chase, and they said, well, we haven't got a camera. I said, look, there's one on the helicopter. Let's take that one. And we took Use the that camera, and we started shooting with that the first day. And the sun came out for 13 consecutive days. And my driver, who's the same age as me, he said he'd, an, uh, an Icelandic man, he'd lived there his whole life. And he said he'd never seen his whole life three, more than three consecutive days of sunshine. And I had 13. It was just phenomenal. <laughs> and we just shot and we shot and we shot. And the ice, uh, the snow melted off all the icebergs. So you got wonderful blue, shiny icebergs instead of big, fluffy, white balls. They were right. 
beautiful blue and the lake was glistening. It was absolutely phenomenal. And we had safety people there and they used to drill the ice every day where we were going. Make sure this. it was thick enough. But it was like a trampoline, you'd be on it and the cars would go by you. Really? Wow. It was, it was like COVID actually, you couldn't stand two meters, less than two meters apart. <laughs> right. So people in one place. Right. And as the cars go by, it's like a trampoline. The whole whole lake would go up and down. It's quite it's quite off putting. Bloody hell! I was very 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 proud of that of that uh, chase. I must say. Oh, it's extraordinary. There's, I mean, that's you know that's one of the, uh, the the highlights of the film. Most certainly, I think is the the extraordinary work on on there. And then the two, you know, your Georgie Cottle and Ray Dahan well. in there. When I when I was you know, talking about it, and we got into the nitty gritty about how the chase was going to go, I decided we needed four wheel drive cars because rear wheel drive cars, you'd just be spinning around. You wouldn't get any traction. Everything right. else. It costs over a million to do those cars, just to, just to change the, the Jaguar and the Aston into four wheel drive. And, wow. and Chris Corbold and his team did an amazing job doing all the engineering and everything else on those. It was, it's, you know, the unsung heroes. They were fantastic. They made Absolutely. those cars in a four wheel drive. And in the end, we just needed one eighth of an inch studs on them. I thought we'd have to have big spikes and everything, but just one eighth of an inch Tiny, studs. Tiny, small actually got wheel spin and everything else, but still had traction. And my two drivers were phenomenal. You know, it's just everything worked again so, so well. It was amazing. That's great. I mean, I, I must admit that was, uh, uh, I met you down on um, uh, on the pre-title down at Aldershot. And uh, that was a very different occurrence down there. I must admit from, from you know, watching watching these two, uh, the, these two guys driving these fabulous cars around on the ice to be standing there knee deep in mud. I mean, it was absolutely shocking. Uh, oh, I vowed that I'm never going to go to uh, North Korea if that's what it looks like for real. It's really grubby down there. But it was quite funny because when I read the script, it had North Korea, Japan, Cuba, and somewhere else, and Switzerland or wherever it was. And I thought, wow, this is going to be great. And we ended up <laughs> we <just had> two, <laughs> days, two days in Malaga for Cuba. And then and, and all the shop for North Korea and Tokyo got, got thrown out the script. So after all the great expectations, we ended up in sort of pretty paltry locations. But yeah. uh, I'm going to say, I was, of all the things I've done, I'm, I'm as proud as anything of that, that chase because it was interesting to watch as well. It was so balletic and I had some great big wide helicopter oh, shots yeah. Yeah. Stuff, with a glacier in the background and icebergs going by in foreground. It was just phenomenal. It's. I mean, you would think, and this is the. You, we we talked there earlier about um, you know that entire boat chase and, and only having one CGI shot in it. Well, you would look at this whole um, the ice chase and think that those cars have been CGI'd into the into the location, but it's not. They are very clearly there. They are very clearly sliding around on this. And uh, what with this, it was a, a new form of uh, editing called ramping, where you would speed up the edit yeah. from one place to another. I mean, it looked terrific. That was. Fabulous! You you should be you should be proud of it. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and it's quite funny because we then got to the moment where his car gets flipped over, and then he fires the ejector seat and puts it back on its wheels again. Now we could not do that in no. Iceland because of the the pressure of hitting the ice; it had just gone straight through it. So we went up to Risington, uh, an airfield I'd worked on on a dreadful movie called uh, the, the Avengers. It was awful movie. I wasn't seeing <laughs> the movie originally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't do it. I did a Bond instead. And then when the Bond wrapped, they called me to do a chase on the Avengers, which involved an E-type Jaguar and everything else. That's and right, I, yeah. We went to this place, Risington. 
to do some aerial shots. And I'm, it's stuck in the back of my mind. It's an amazing location. It's in Gloucestershire, but there's no horizon. There's no hills, there's no forest, there's nothing. You stand on the runways and you see nothing around you. Right. So we started doing the, the work for the boat, uh, the, the, the ice chase. We had to find somewhere to do the, the car flipping back onto it. So I said, look, Risington's the place. We can paint the runway and make it look like ice. And with some the art department, all the, they did, again, they did a fantastic job with 1D, 2D and three-dimensional icebergs. Icebergs, yeah. It's phenomenal because there's no horizon, you had nothing to, to hide. So these icebergs were there giving us a depth perception with different size ones. And so we did that on the runway on cement so we could fire it and flip it back onto its wheels yeah. again. So it's serendipity, you know, everything just clicked into place. And, uh, and you know, one job leads to another. And you, you, you know, you have this sort of, uh, this sort of memory bank of, of experiences that you can then analyze and use and, and change and use in other movies. It's, it's quite an interesting job, really. Well, the, the, the fellow there in Iceland said he'd never had, he'd, he'd never seen three days of sunshine and you had 13 days. And obviously the gods were smiling down on you. And uh, we're very grateful for you taking part in this as well, Vic. So thank you very much indeed. My pleasure, John, and good luck with everything. And uh, I look forward to seeing it. Thank you, man. That's it then for this current series. More to come later on in the year when we explore the Daniel Craig 5, Casino, Quantum, Skyfall, Spectre, and his last outing as the good commander, No Time to Die. You haven't heard the last of us, though, as the podcast and YouTube show, copyright prevailing, that is, will go on as we explore action from lots of other great gems of action cinema. Thank you for all your support. And we'll see you all next time. Until then, bye for now.